Welcome to Painting the Midnight Oil Podcast with your host, Dan Oils. The other day, my wife and I were talking about the podcast, and she asked me if there was a particular date or episode or event that would prompt me to stop podcasting, that would signal an end to this story, or signal an end to this podcast. And I said, well, I initially set out to chronicle every step along the way in my pursuit of becoming a full-time artist. So my immediate response, and one that I had thought about for a long time, was I'm going to continue doing this until I'm a full-time artist. Knowing that it could take a year, it could take 12 years, it could take 30 years or more. Um, I fully believe that I will do it one day. And... I am very pleased with the foundation that I have created and the foundation that I've built. And I know that that is absolutely necessary to achieving any sort of goal or, or milestone is you have to have a strong foundation. And I believe that I have that. And so for me, it's just a matter of time. You know, I've always felt like it was very important to be very authentic in this experience. So you understand those of you that um, are sharing a similar journey, you understand what I'm going through, and you can maybe compare your own journey, your own story to mine. Or if you are considering starting your own journey of whatever it is, whether it's sobriety or or applying for a new job or starting your own business or uh, starting your own passion or pursuit of something that has always interested you, but you've never really had the time or the energy or the courage to attempt it before, but now you're going to set aside some time and energy to pursue it after all, whatever it is. I think it's important that you understand what is involved in these types of journeys, that it truly is a collection of highs and lows and trials and tribulations and, and understanding how to navigate that and, and using those low experiences as moments of strength, um, moments to test and acknowledge that there are lessons to be learned. Um, and how, how are you going to apply those lessons in the future? How are you going to use those negatives as positives? How are you going to use those negatives as valuable teaching moments so you can ultimately reach your goal? But I've been kind of questioning that for the last few weeks now. Because it is time consuming and ultimately I'm beginning to realize that as much as I love to podcast, I think I am approaching a necessary time where I will be stepping away at least for an extended period of time. Uh, maybe forever. I don't know. The platform that I use to broadcast this podcast, it's pretty cool. It gives you like specific badges that you can work towards. And I don't really get too caught up in those badges or those milestones because I'm already intrinsically motivated to, to come in here almost every single week, you know, I, I do take some time off after every single season to kind of recharge and figure out new content or, or live life. So I have more stories to tell, but I've, I've been coming up on the two ultimate badges that you can earn through this particular platform. And one is 50 episodes, which I am getting very close to. And the other one is 1000 downloads, which I'm getting very, very close to. And on top of that, in a few weeks, I'm going to be celebrating my one-year podcast anniversary. 
December 23rd, I believe, is the first day that I recorded and uploaded a podcast episode, so almost exactly one year ago. And then at the very end of January, I will be celebrating my two-year anniversary of painting. And then in early February, I'll be celebrating my 40th birthday. So I have a lot of milestones and anniversaries coming up. And I've been reaching a couple pretty profound realizations and epiphanies over the last several weeks. And it's just an amalgamation of all those different factors and, and realizations and anniversaries that have and badges and, and accomplishments and achievements that I've realized that I'm going to stop podcasting very soon. And whenever I am delivering uh profound news to my students, I always want to make sure that I'm giving them a heads up, that I'm not shocking them with news. Uh, they don't have time to process it. Um, it's like a trauma-enforced strategy, but um, just something that I think has, has always come natural to me anyways, where you just want to ensure that you are looking out for their um, best interest and ensuring that they have time to process anything because um, sometimes they deal with a lot of instability or sometimes they're having a lot of... Um, issues at home. So I don't need to add to the weight that they're already carrying. So I'm going to take that approach now. I'm going to give you a heads up that I only have a few more episodes left. So I believe I have seven more episodes, including this one, in order to reach 50. And that's my goal. My last episode is going to be episode 50. And I'm going to continue recording episodes one a week. And that will take me to the very end of January, which will coincide with my two-year anniversary of oil painting and also roughly coincide with my 40th birthday. And then I'm going to, my plan is to take almost a full year off. And then in December, I'm going to reconsider. Now, one of the main reasons why I have decided to take some time off is because, as I've mentioned before, I have a very addictive personality. And um, I've been 14 years sober, but I've been really struggling. There's this one malady that's been, I've been struck with ever since I started this podcast. And it's my obsession, my addiction with these podcast statistics. I've been really struggling <laughs> balancing that. Um, and I need some time away. I need some time. I need to force myself away from this platform so I stop obsessing over who is listening to what I'm saying. Uh, because I put so much into this podcast. I, I reveal so much about myself because it gives me a sense of purpose. It's It allows me to share experiences and stories that will hopefully help people in some way. And if people are listening to these stories, if people are listening to this podcast, it makes my life more meaningful to me. It makes my life feel like I have more purpose. And that is a huge value that I have, a huge priority in how I live my life. So every single time someone listens to this podcast or downloads an episode, it makes me more fulfilled. It gets, gives me a lot of joy knowing that these experiences that I've lived through and the, the wisdom that I've gleaned from them didn't just benefit me. I was able to help other people uh, in their own lives, hopefully. So I obsess over that measure of success. 
you know, I will check my full disclosure. I will check my statistics. It's so easy to do because I've typed it into my phone so many times that if I start to type in B, it automatically comes up. And if I had to guess, I would I would say that I check my statistics probably 30, 30 times, 50 times on a bad day. And uh, it's just unhealthy. It's something that I need to limit, and it's something that I need to step away from. And it's really the only time that I've really been struck with some sort of like addiction like that ever since I stopped drinking like 14 years ago. Um, and so I've recognized that it's a problem. I need to recognize that I need to step away. And the only way that I can do that fully is by completely removing myself from that space. So I'm actually really looking forward to taking some time off um, and just separating myself from that noise and from that obsession. Um, and my plan is to hopefully, I'm going to do my best to not check my stats for almost a full year, which <laughs> is going to be difficult for me, but I'm, I'm going to commit to that. And I'm going to have to take some measures. So I'm going to have to reduce, I'm going to have to, I'm sorry, eliminate the bookmark from my web browser. I'm going to have to do a better job of just getting out of the habit of checking the stats on my phone. Um, and just stepping away for it or from it for a year. And then in December, I'm going to log back in and I'm going to see if the viewership um, or the downloads or the listens have exponentially increased because you know I'm approaching a thousand downloads I'm approaching um, 50 episodes and I'm approaching one year so you can do the math you can figure out exactly how many downloads that is per day or if I log back in in December and there are significantly more people listening to this podcast then I will consider continuing um, if there are people that offer me feedback on Instagram or they reach out to me or they email me and say, hey, man, I really appreciate the podcast. Keep it up. Then I will consider continuing. Um, but it's also likely that I'm going to step away from this podcast uh, for an extended period of time and maybe forever. And there were a lot more stories, a lot more things that I was planning on sharing that I didn't get to. And maybe I'll get to it at a, another day. Um, but... You know, only time will tell and only those stats will ultimately tell and, and encourage me which direction to go to and how I feel after a year of hopefully not checking my stats and if that is uh, improving my mental health and if it's worth stepping away from the podcast or if I deeply, deeply miss coming in here and recording my experiences and my stories. So um, time will tell. But I want to give you a heads up. With that said, and before I move on to the actual content of this episode, I just want, again, to thank every single one of you um, for listening, because it means a lot to me. Uh, I, I take a lot of risks coming in here and sharing a lot about myself. I know that's not for everyone. A lot of people may be turned off from that. That's cool. That's fine. But this is a preferred art form of mine, and it, it's, it may be my favorite art form like I mentioned in another episode, my one of my goals in life, one of my dreams was to become a writer. And when I was working for my dad, 
I, I couldn't stand working for my dad. I couldn't stand that line of work. And I remember vividly, I was working down in Georgetown at this really, um, I know the, I'm not going to say the owner's name, but it was the CEO or CFO of a national company, publicly traded company. And it was this multi, multi-million dollar house in Georgetown, or not Georgetown, sorry, in D.C., right off of uh, Connecticut Avenue. And it was like an old historic home that was like the only house that spanned multiple lots. A lot of them are like row homes in this area, but this was just this massive estate. I'm not going to give the exact address. And I remember I was operating one of my dad's machines and I was taking a load of dirt from the very front of the yard that was dropped off from a dump truck. And it was my job to bring the dirt in this very precarious space. It was right next to like this multimillion dollar house's foundation and something else. And so I had to be very careful on how I was navigating this bucket, navigating uh, this machine. Uh, so it wouldn't cause any damage, which can be difficult to do as the machine is like bumping around and you have this load that is throwing off the balance of the machine. So there's all these things that you have to think about and all these subtle movements that you have to make with your hands and your feet to ensure that the machine is going where you need it to go. And I was going around this path and then I was dumping the dirt in the very back because they were raising up the backyard to put in something. Maybe it was like a tennis court or a, you know something. And it became very repetitive. But with every single pass, my favorite, my favorite part about that pass is I'd start to rise up this hill and you could see over top of all the other houses and you could see into the city. And it was just a beautiful view. And you start to, you know, anytime you have a job, you look for things that you enjoy about it. And I would just look forward to, you know, dumping the dirt, going back, knowing that I was going to see that view on my return trip. And as I was making that trip or as I was making that pass, I was thinking to myself, I know I don't like doing this. So what is it that I want to do? If I could have any job in the world, if I could do anything with my time, what would it be? And I would just think about that over and over again because I had so much time to just let my mind wander. And I settled on becoming a writer. And I, I talk a lot about that story in another episode, but this podcast kind of gives me that same opportunity to tell stories and to write, um, albeit in a, a verbal way, but... Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed this podcast, and I, like, as I mentioned before, even if no one listened to it, I was still going to find myself in here telling stories because it always means, it just means a lot. It's, it's very fun, um, and if it helps one person or if one person finds it entertaining, then uh, that gives me further validation that I should be doing it, or it just gives me that much more encouragement to come in here and, and continue doing this. So today I'm going to tell another story. I'm going to tell you all about my latest piece, which is The Regal of Rock. And it is probably my favorite piece that I've ever created. Uh, I absolutely love this piece. I love this collection. I've really been proud of this collection so far. And with every single piece, and I said this to one of my friends, every single piece that I make, my latest piece is usually my favorite. And he was like, well, that shows that you're getting better, man. And I think I am. Um, but regardless of what better means, I I just enjoy what I'm creating. 
and I enjoy the stories that I'm telling. And I enjoy reminiscing about my childhood and these memories and encouraging you to create your own memories and to get out of your house and get off your phone and, and explore the world and what it has to offer. Explore relationships and people and what they have to offer and what you can learn from them, which I have a difficult time doing, honestly. <laughs> I like to just stay in my studio and paint. Um, but the more I think back on some of these memories, the more I realize that um, I have enjoyed other people's company. Uh, but you're going to understand why I don't always seek out other people's company based on the story. So the Regal of Rock, again, is all about the Regal Cinema in Rockville, Maryland. And I talk a lot about this in my first episode about the Regal of Rock and why it has always inspired me. And I'm not going to rehash that. You'll have to listen. But when I think of Rockville, there's two primary memories that I think about. And the very first memory is all the time that I spent uh, in karate. And when I was a kid, I, I always wanted to play baseball because my grandfather was uh, Mr. Baseball or, or um, Mr. Athlete or whatever it was, whatever the senior superlative was at his high school. And he was an incredible baseball player, played semi-professional. And he was a huge Orioles fan. And before he was an Orioles fan, he was a huge Senders fan because he used to work down in D.C. at the Department of Agriculture. And he just loved playing baseball, loved watching baseball. And so when my dad was working and building our house, my grandfather would come over and, and he would teach me baseball. And I absolutely loved those memories and I absolutely loved playing baseball. But I was too young for many years. I had to be seven years old. And so when I was five years old, I was... So one of the very few times I was ever in my parents' bedroom, we were watching TV on this Zenith. It may have had color. I'm sure it had color, but it was very staticky. We only had four, five, seven, nine, twenty, but they were. We never had a clear picture. But I remember one time I was watching TV and there was a commercial for uh, karate in Rockville, and I was like, "That's what I want to do." And so, fortunately, my parents were supportive and they signed me up for karate and. That required us to drive like 20 minutes down into Rockville because we lived out in you know a rural area. So everything was like 20 minutes away. So it required my mom to drive me about 20 minutes away, uh, I would say once or twice a week. And so I spent a lot of time in Rockville growing up. Um, I actually didn't spend too much time at that movie theater, but I would pass that movie theater a lot as I grew up and as I you know would drive down to Rockville. I'd always see it and it always inspired me. But my memories of Rockville are going to karate. And karate was something that taught me a tremendous amount of discipline that I wasn't really expecting, at least in how it revealed itself. And the reason why I want to talk so much about discipline is because it is, in my opinion, one of the most important traits that someone can ever develop. And it's incredibly important to achieving your goal. I was recently listening to a reel by Joe Rogan. And he said something that was pretty profound that I, I happen to agree with. And he said that, you know, I don't care about motivation. You know, motivation comes and goes. He's like, a lot of times I don't feel motivated. You know, I, I, I don't feel motivated to go to the gym, but then I tell myself I have to go. And then I, I work out and I feel good while I'm working out and I feel even better as I leave. He's like, but motivation isn't what continues 
that habit. It's discipline. And Nick Saban has a, a famous quote that I really enjoy that I'm actually going to modify a little bit. And, and Nick Saban is considered one of the best collegiate football coaches ever. And he is the current head coach at Alabama. And he is uh, recorded as saying that there are two pains in life. One is the pain of discipline and one is the pain of disappointment. Now for me, I would add something to that uh, off the top of my head. And I would say that there's also the pain of uncertainty. Because for me, in order to be disappointed, you have to have a very clear element that you're comparing it to. That you're comparing your current outcome to a known outcome. So you have concrete evidence that you did not meet your goal. That you have felt disappointment because there is quantitative data that says that you didn't get there. Or qualitative data that said that you didn't get there. So you have experienced disappointment. That's my interpretation of that. But if you never try, then you can never really you can never fully be disappointed because you don't have that measuring stick. You don't have that mode of comparison. It's it's un it's unknown. So how disappointed can you really feel? For me, the pain of uncertainty is what constantly drives me because I don't know what I can do. But I want to figure that out. You know, when I'm in here, um, it's the discipline of I want to figure out what I can create. I want to explore that every single day if I can. I want to see what I'm able to make. I'm, I, I want to see what I'm able to produce. I want to see if the visions and the imagination that I have in my head, if I can materialize that on a canvas. And that is something that drives me is that I don't want to be uncertain. I don't want to know. I don't want to be on my deathbed whenever that's going to be. And I don't want to say, you know, I wish I would have tried that. Who knows if I would have liked it? Who knows if I would have been proficient at it? I want to know for an absolute fact where I stood. And I want to know how hard I tried to achieve that particular goal or to explore that particular talent. And going back to my story about becoming a writer, one reason why I stopped doing that is because I reached out to all these different publications. I mean, they were like national publications um, for the most part, and one was local. But I received, a, a lot of people never responded to me. You know, I sent out uh, a packet, essentially, of my 10 best pieces that I had written for that particular purpose or for blogs. One was a Washington Redskins blog, and one was like my personal blog, and one was just or some of those pieces were just written for that particular purpose. Most people never responded to me, and that was fine. Um, but I remember getting a rejection letter from the Washington Post. And that was like a trophy, because it gave me peace of mind. And it said, look, I tried to become a writer at the Washington Post, and it didn't work out. But I now know that I, at that moment, wasn't qualified or wasn't good enough. And that gave me peace of mind, and that ended that level of uncertainty. And when you're sober, you have to have that sense of closure as much as possible because, for me, my mind will just work overtime 
questioning what if, what if, what if. And I have to quiet that. And so the only way that I can quiet that voice in my head is just by always doing what I feel compelled to do or exploring what my potential or what I'm capable of. And then that voice is quiet. And then I don't have the same level of anxiety. But when I was, sorry, when I was five years old, I, I did karate and I was, became, you know, very good at it. Um, I reached black belt when I was in fourth grade and, you know, different schools are different. Uh, the karate studio that I went to was, was pretty old school. And so you really had to earn your belts. I think a lot of time now it's just more of a business. You know, if you pay your dues and you're going in there consistently, I think a lot of people are just, all right, well, here's, here's your next belt to keep that money coming in. Um, but in the nineties, in the eighties, it was much more like, no, you have to earn these belts. And if you aren't committed and if you don't want to join, then you, then by all means, you can bow out. And these companies or the, the school that I had joined had such a high reputation that, you know, he didn't have to worry about, you know, pissing off or irritating his clientele because everyone knew what they were signing up for. And so I reached Black Belt by the fourth grade. But the reason why I experienced so much discipline or the reason why it taught me so much discipline is because I was being bullied in school and I never used the skills that I was taught that I was so proficient at. And that was torture. You know, growing up as the oldest son in a household that is um, that didn't attend college and who really emphasized a strong work ethic and really believed, you know, in their kids. It was always talked about going to college. Like we needed to go to college and, and we didn't have a lot of money. So we needed to try and earn scholarships to get there. And, you know, I admit that was a lot of pressure, uh, but that's one reason why my brother and I would practice baseball all the time because we were trying to get a scholarship so we could go to college because the money wasn't there. But I was also trying to get academic scholarships. And so that was my goal as a kid. I just wanted to go to a school like Stanford. Um, one of my favorite players growing up was Mike Messina. He was a pitcher for the Orioles. And I believe, if memory serves me, he went to Stanford and he became a professional baseball player. And that was like the path that I wanted. I wanted to go to a really prestigious university and then ultimately play for a Major League Baseball team. And so that's what I thought about every single day when I was a kid. That was my goal. That was my goal. Make my parents happy and, and, and reduce that stress so they don't have to pay for my college education. So starting at a really young age, I was dedicating everything that I had to doing well in school. And so at my elementary school, there was an award called the Citizenship Award. And that was an award that was given to one boy and one girl based on their academic but also their, their academic performance, but also their character and uh, different traits that they embodied or exemplified or exhibited uh, for that particular year. And I won it first grade, second grade, and third grade. And so by the time fourth grade rolled around, I had a lot of peers 
that hated me, that absolutely hated me, and they turned against me. And they basically just had to, they just tried to make my life as miserable as possible. And I knew that individually they were very weak and very insecure, but it was like that pack mentality. When they would get together, then all of a sudden they felt stronger. And it wasn't the entire grade that was against me, but it was a pretty large contingency. And keep in mind too, like I didn't, I wasn't raised in a neighborhood. I was by myself. So I didn't have like a crew. I didn't have like a neighborhood. And so there were, there was a like a large percentage. And again, I don't know exactly what that percentage was, but there was a, there was a large group of kids, large group of boys that just hated me. It just was very difficult to navigate when you're, you know, nine years old, basically my son's age. And I remember like the exact moment that it really escalated. And I remember that we had indoor recess one time. So indoor recess, there's only, you know, a few things that you can do. So what I was doing was I was so committed and I was such a perfectionist back then too, that I wanted to get a perfect score in every single thing that I did. Because I wanted to go to Stanford and I wanted to be a professional baseball player. And I had all these goals to make my parents happy, do all these things. So we had book reports. And that was like our big grade. And book reports, unlike we do now, they would mark off for everything. They would mark off for punctuation. They would mark off for misspelled words. And this is back before we had computers in the classroom. So everything had to be handwritten. And I was obsessed with getting a perfect score on every single book report. So in order to do that, in order to achieve that, I would have multiple rough drafts. I mean, this is like in <laughs> this is like in third and fourth grade. This is no, this is specifically in fourth grade. I remember the classroom. This was in fourth grade. And I, I brought out my folder and I had one of my rough drafts for my book report. And I was sitting at my desk and I was editing my rough draft with a marker. And so, you know, kids are walking around and they're trying to, you know, find entertainment and, and they start to realize what I'm doing. And that was it. And that was the moment that it really started to turn. And they were just so threatened, I guess, by my dedication. And, um, you know, it wasn't anything that I was doing necessarily. I was just trying to improve myself. But ever since that day, that's when it got really bad. And so it was very difficult going to Rockville to take karate and develop these skills that I had, knowing that I wasn't using them. And I wasn't using them because I would talk to the karate master at our school and he was like, you know, you never use these skills. You never, you never use these techniques unless you are physically in danger. So every single day I would go to school and it was miserable just knowing that basically every single day these kids were going to try and make it miserable for me emotionally. Because I was so dedicated, because I was such a dedicated student, I didn't want to make my karate master disappointed in me. I wanted to honor his teachings. And so for years I had these skills, I had these tools, and they just sat dormant. And I just had to experience that abuse. And so it was torture. So by the time I went to middle school, I just wanted to completely reinvent myself. 
Like I, for me growing up, academic success equaled pain and equaled torture. And so when I got to middle school, I completely reinvented myself. I said, I don't care about school anymore. I just want to be accepted. I just want to be considered cool. And I, and I was, I was accepted. And it took me a long time to get out of that routine and, and get out of that role or out of that character that I had developed for self-preservation in a sense. So as a teacher, I know that when students aren't performing in a certain way, it's not necessarily because they aren't able to, that there is a lot of factors that lead into a student's success or performance or behavior and a lot that we don't know as teachers or educators or as people. We don't know what other people are going through. We don't know what their past is. And so when I was painting Regal of Rock, this entire time that I'm painting this movie theater, I'm thinking back to my time in Rockville and I can't help but think about those karate lessons and those karate classes and the torture that I felt of having all of these skills and, and consistently going to learn skills that were just going to ultimately torture me, knowing that I had the ability to physically hurt and harm other people, but chose not to. But that's exactly what discipline is. And that's exactly what this painting and painting in general represents. Is I could do anything else with my time. Anything else. You know, I wake up at five o'clock in the morning. I spend my entire day trying to help other people. I get home and I'm with my wife and my two kids and we are working together to address our children's needs. And by the time that they're in bed at nine o'clock, I am absolutely exhausted. It'd be so easy for me to go to bed. But I have to have the discipline to continue chipping away at what that potential is or what that capability is, but more importantly, it's something that I love to do. So I have to find that strength. I have to find that discipline to honor that one hour that I have every single day to paint. And this painting is so indicative of that experience because the bullying that I received when I was a kid, it changed me. I gave in. I gave in. I, I changed who I was. I changed the trajectory that I was on because I did not want to deal with that abuse any longer. And I didn't know how to properly navigate that. And so my solution at the time was to just change. I gave in to that treatment and I changed and they won. I stopped you know, winning those awards. I stopped performing and my own individual life suffered academically. Socially, it was fine. Socially, it was better. But I had erased all those habits that I had developed and that I had reinforced and sharpened over the years. So this painting is very important because this painting, I just let it go. This painting, I just explored my mind as far as I could take it. I explored my ability as far as I could take it. And I really challenged myself to produce something that was my greatest work. And it's a symbol of how far I've come and how I've matured. And when I'm replaying those memories in my head, 
I'm telling myself I'm not going to change this time. You know, I'm, I'm going to continue to be proud of who I am. I'm going to continue to be the artist that I'm capable of becoming. And so when I talk a little bit about the lack of support that I get here locally, now you understand why that is such a difficult thing for me to deal with. Because in a lot of ways, and I can't confirm if that's the reason why, but in a lot of ways I feel like I'm experiencing that all over again. Where people are rooting for me to fail and they're hoping that I change and they are hoping that I quit. They're hoping that I just go away. And so that painting, I'm feeling all those emotions of my childhood and I'm feeling those emotions that I'm experiencing right now. At this point in my career, that's what I'm experiencing. That's what I feel is happening. And I'm just pushing back. And I'm saying, no, I'm not, I'm not quitting. I'm going to continue to be who I am. I'm going to continue to explore what I'm capable of becoming. And that's why this painting is so important to me. I love the way that it turned out, but more importantly, I love the motivation behind it. I love the energy that's behind it. And not being afraid to be who I am and not being afraid of taking chances and exploring my imagination and not being afraid of producing something and not listening to the lack of support and not listening to all the numbers and the stats and just being who I am and being what I'm supposed to become. So there's one last element that I never discussed in that initial episode, but I wanted to share with you the movies that appear on the, um, God, what's the, I forget the exact name for that, but basically the signage out front where you get to see the movies that are playing. There's a a specific name for that and it's escaped me at the moment. But there were 13 movies that were playing the day that I took the picture when I was down in Rockville in preparation for this painting. So I wanted to match that. And, you know, growing up, we didn't have cable TV. We didn't have internet until I was in eighth grade. So the time that we did spend in front of the TV, we were watching VHS movies for the most part. And we had about a dozen. So I wanted to share with you the movies that I had growing up from my childhood. And I wanted to share that with you in the painting. And I wanted to explain what they are just in case you can't see them on Instagram or the website. But if you buy it, you'll be able to see it. Um, The first one is The Wizard of Oz for obvious reasons because the Regal Cinema always reminded me of The Wizard of Oz Castle. Number two is The Karate Kid. Number three is The Karate Kid Part 2 for obvious reasons. Those were the best movies in that series in my opinion. Those are the movies that I watched over and over and over again. So I know that they've had additional installments over the years, but those two have always been classics for me uh, because they came out right around that same uh, time that I was doing karate. And the main character was named Daniel. Uh, Number four, The Land Before Time. Number five, The Sound of Music. Number six, Batman. Number seven, Dances with Wolves. Number eight, E.T. Number nine, Field of Dreams, um, which I loved as a baseball player. Number 10, Rookie of the Year, another baseball-themed movie. 11, Angels in the Outfield, another baseball-themed movie. Uh, 12, The Mask, which I watched repeatedly. Um, And 13, Home Alone. So in the movie Home Alone, 
Kevin McAllister is one of, I think, eight children. Their entire extended family is over at his house. It's chaos in the morning because you have you know, dozens of family members that are trying to pack their bags at the last minute because they slept through their alarm. And they're all trying to get into their shuttle to take them to the airport so they can make their flight on time. And in all that chaos and, and confusion, Kevin is left behind. And so Kevin in the movie, for those of you that have not seen it, shame on you because it's a classic. Kevin is navigating how to be an adult very quickly. And that movie really resonated with me. One, because when I was taking karate, everyone said I looked like Kevin McAllister. But I just felt, uh, I felt very alone. And I was forced to grow up very quickly because I had to wrestle with these thoughts, these very profound ideas uh, related to human behavior and why people behave the way that they do. And I had to, had a really difficult time understanding why I was being treated in such a way when all I was really trying to do was be the best version of myself and try to improve my life. Um, and so now at the age of 40, I have to kind of relive that isolation all over again, feeling like I am surrounded by people that are looking for me to fail, that are hoping that I fail, that are hoping that I quit, that are hoping that I change course. And it could be completely fabricated in my own mind, but maybe not. But the reason why it is such an emphasis and, and why I always talk about it and why it's always on the forefront of my mind is because of those experiences as a kid. And it is so easy for me to go there. It's so easy for me to think that I'm experiencing those that same treatment that I'm that I have to revisit. And so painting in here is in a sense kind of traumatic because I have to relive that that feeling. I have to relive that that mistreatment or that hate. And it's challenging, but it's comforting knowing that I have better skills this time around. It's comforting knowing that I have a proper outlet that I can express myself. And it's comforting knowing that I have the confidence to continue doing what I'm doing and to continue being who I am and not to let any of that negativity disrupt that or disrupt the trajectory or disrupt my dreams and, and my ambition um, to be strong enough to rise above that. And to understand that, look, it's not about winning those awards. You know, it's not, it's not about that. It's just being able to look yourself in the mirror and say that I'm, I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud of who I'm becoming. I'm proud of what I'm producing. And I'm proud of who I am, regardless of whether someone supports what I'm doing or not. Thanks for listening to the Painting the Midnight Oil podcast. Come back soon.